Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. Hey, and by the way, do you know if you need advice, we offer free off-air, the off-the-air advice. We've been doing so since 1993, where you can talk with a member of Team Clark and get free advice. So if you scroll down on Clark.com, you'll see the information, how you can get that done to have a serious impact on your wallet. A good one, I hope. And coming up later, we have a reverse Clark Rage. I want to tell you what a difference you and I can make in the lives of other people. I have a great example for you. And coming up yet later, when you think about what are the things you need to do to lead a financially successful life, not a personally successful life or spiritually successful life, but a financially successful life, there are some rules that are so very simple that you can even just put them on a postcard. We're going to talk about that. So I get quite a few questions from people confused about buying life insurance. And I talk many times too shorthand in that about how you know whether you need life insurance, how much you should have, and how you go about buying it. So we talked about this in what we call our show meeting when everybody's together from all the various disciplines, our social media, our website, our deal site, off-air site, TV, radio, we're all together and we share ideas and we talk about things we could do better and things that it looks like people could use. So based on questions that have come up lately, I realized that we needed to all work together to do a better job for you when it came to trying to buy life insurance. And so we have a new guide for you at Clark.com that talks you through how to buy term life insurance, which for probably 99% of us is the life insurance you should have. Only someone who is an ultra-high income earner would normally be a candidate for what's known as whole life insurance. There's a lot of other trashy life insurance out there that people may try to sell you variable universal life, universal life, uh, that are just absolutely a recipe for financial disaster. But for most people, again, unless you earn massive amounts of money per year, you're going to best be served by term life insurance. I want to explain what term life insurance is. You buy it almost like you buy insurance for your car or for your home. You buy it for a term, a period of time. And when you're insuring your life, I like for you to buy something known as level term insurance, where the premium is set and stays the same for the period of term you're buying it for, usually 15, 20, 30 years. You're taking care of replacement of income, which is why you buy life insurance, so that people who survive may grieve your loss 
but they're not going to have to worry about money. Let them just worry about their aching heart, not about not having enough money to pay the bills when you're gone. Term life insurance because it doesn't have any fancy weird stuff in it. It only pays in the event you die during the 20, 30 year period, most often that people would buy it. It's very inexpensive to buy, very easy to comparison shop for it. And on this new guide, you have step-by-step how you decide what to buy for how long, where to shop for it, and what companies would be good to buy it from. So if you go to Clark.com and you look at our guide to buying term life, it's just as simple. I love this. How to buy term life insurance is the title of it. And you'll know what you need to do. Walter is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Walter. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Walter. Congratulations. You've got a one-year-old. Yeah, one-and-a-half-year-old. Is your one-and-a-half-year-old like most one-and-a-half-year-olds, either running or asleep? Uh, more the running part, not so much the sleep these days. Yeah, that, that thing is tough, uh, having to run after a, a little child. You think it's great. That when they first start pulling up, when they first start wandering around, and then you realize it sure was a lot easier when they couldn't get up and run around. Absolutely. Well, how can I be of service with your one-and-a-half-year-old? Well, I, uh, my wife and I have started a small college fund for him. Uh, I was blessed by my parents to be able to have one. And uh, right now we, we have quite a, we have a, a decent amount set aside for him so far, and um, it's all in TDAs, and I, I kind of just wanted to know your feeling on the TDAs and if there's something that we should be doing better to get a better return on the money because I want to set them up pretty good for college if that's what he chooses, and if not, set them up for a good down payment on a house. All right, um, so you know, let me tell stuff. you straight out, I hate tax-deferred annuities. Okay. Um, they have massive commissions, extremely high costs, and have something known as surrender charges, which can be ugly. Plus, they're principally designed to be as a retirement savings vehicle. And so, used for other purposes, there can be tax problems. So, let's take a step back, because if you're using tax-deferred annuities, uh, I'm not going to be unbiased about them, and you're not going to get a fair reading of them, because I just don't like them. So, I just got to tell you that, okay? What are the odds in your family culture that your one-year-old is going to go to college? Um, well, I don't know. You know, when it comes to that time, what the what the uh, state of affairs will be. Uh, I went to a technical college, and I, honestly, I see that as being a better choice these days. Okay. That's very important information for me because it means that doing like a 529 college savings plan is not a good choice for your child because college is not... So, you know, some family cultures, of course our kids are going to college. And others, it's like, well, let's see what's going on with the job market and what skills would be required and all that. And so when, when you're not in that mode where, yes, our child's going, then... 529s would be a bad idea because the tax treatment of them is hideous in the event they're not used for an eligible college expense. 
So you want to build an account that is there for your child as a young adult to be able to use as your child wishes as a young adult for any of a variety of purposes, including it could be buying a house, buying transportation, whatever. Mostly to buy a house or start a business, something that's going to help move his, his life along. All right. So a child does not need the temporary tax shelter that comes with an annuity. And the problem is by the time someone would be older and maybe need the money from an annuity, an annuity uh, has extremely poor tax treatment compared to doing something as simple as just um, an index fund. Do you know what an index fund is if I use that term? Uh, no, I don't. All right. So if you were to go to any discount broker like uh, Charles Schwab, Fidelity Investments, you were going to go to Vanguard, they all sell something known as uh, an index fund, which is where you just own little pieces of hundreds or thousands of stocks. And for a one-year-old with money that's not going to be used likely for two decades being invested straight out in the stock market is the best long-term choice. Nothing comes close. And so if you were to, to take money that you right now were thinking of putting in annuities, it would better serve your one-and-a-half-year-old if you put the money into, let's say, a total stock market index fund where you'd own little pieces of thousands and thousands of companies. And just grow with capitalism because money ultimately flows to owners. And your little child would be an owner by being in one and would have two decades for that to grow. And the neat thing is when something like that is sold for whatever purpose your child would later decide, it's treated ultra favorably under the tax code when it's sold. And uh, do you have any accounts at Schwab Fidelity or Vanguard? I do have a Vanguard through my through my business through my work. Fantastic! Uh, so you already have a relationship with them. You could call them about setting up an account for your child. Now, there's another one I like for kids called the Vanguard Star Fund. That is like a bunch of these index funds all in one, and ideal for a young child costs a thousand you have to have a thousand dollars to open one so if it took you a while to get to a thousand that's fine when you get to that throw it in and then from that point you can add to it in small amounts through your uh, child's growing up and they could end up with quite a nice amount of money in their young adulthood okay so i would be much more comfortable with that because the annuity business is is not an efficient way to put money aside and it just doesn't work out generally because of the commissions fees expenses and the tax treatment it's not something i like for kids dave is with us on the clark howard show hello dave hi clark how are you great thank you dave so you're getting engaged I am. I'm getting engaged. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, 
And, you know, we're really excited about these lab-grown diamonds initially, and now I'm starting to have some trepidation and a couple concerns. I'm wondering, in light of those, if uh, how, you, how you feel about these still. Well, I love the lab-grown diamonds because you're buying diamonds that are flawless, chemically identical to one dug out of the earth, and they're cheaper. And they're only going to get steadily cheaper from here in comparison to a traditional dug-out-of-the-earth diamond. Right, and I guess that kind of dovetails into one of our concerns is, is that the, the, the value of these, initially when you walk out of the store, it's, it's significantly less, but I'm wondering if they're going to be nearly valueless down the line as their, you know, new diamonds keep flooding into the market. That is a great uh, question, and that's going to happen, that the, mm-hmm. the precious price that people are used to diamonds carrying will not be true in the future because there won't be a natural um, limiter on the supply. It'll be classic supply and demand. And so diamonds are almost going to end up like electronics where they, you know, you buy one today and it's steadily cheaper later. But the thing is, because the lab-grown diamonds are structurally identical to one dug out of the earth, the price trend will affect both. Interesting. So the reason you buy a diamond is an investment in your heart. Don't think of it as an investment in your wallet. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your your instincts are right on the money. (laughs) Well, that's from listening to you and your wonderful show, sir. Well, thank you. And the alternative also is buy a used diamond, which sounds like such a weird term. I have listened to your show, and I have I, I am very much looking at that. That's great advice, and, and we're, we're taking a look in that direction as well. And I can tell you, this was not brought to you by any diamond seller, because they'd want to choke me saying, yeah, it's true. Diamonds are going to go down in value from here, and down in purchase price, too. That's not a happy thought for them. So we're just talking a second ago with Dave, who is looking at getting engaged. So I got a happy story for you. It's one that happened a while back, but it's just one of those things that touched me. And this is a reverse Clark Rage. There was a couple getting married on the beach. And in the midst of their wedding ceremony, there's a distress call that a surfer is being pulled out to sea and is panicking and two other people are trying to get to the surfer and they were being dragged out. Well, the groom, who was all dressed up for the wedding, happened to be a Coast Guard member. And in the middle of the ceremony, his wife says, you got to go help. And he rips off his fancy clothes for the wedding. And he goes flying out into the water and ends up saving everybody's life. And then comes back and they finish the wedding. Now, I want you to be able to see this video. We have a link for you at Clark.com. And I just think this is such a great story because... You know, so often we only hear about things when something goes wrong. And I love it when I can point out how we as human beings 
make an individual decision that he could have died going out to save this teenager who was drifting out to sea as the rip current was pulling this teen further and further out. But he made the decision to put his life at risk on his wedding day, during his wedding ceremony, on the beach, to save this kid. There's so much goodness in so many of us. Every once in a while, I want to take that time just to reflect on it and share with you. By the way, it just occurred to me, I didn't say his name. The Coast Guard member who saved the kid is Zach Edwards. Zach, what a great job. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can keep more of what you make. Uh, our main website, Clark.com. Our deal site, ClarkDeals.com. Many years ago, I think about five years ago, I talked about a professor who had put the rules you needed for how to handle your money on an index card. And somebody recently asked me about that, saying, hey, what was that thing you talked about with the guy who put everything you needed to know about money on one index card? Well, that guy is Professor Pollock. And I thought, how cool to talk about what he came up with. And so here it is on one four by six index card. His rules. These are so simple. Set financial goals that excite you. Follow a budget. Pay cash or by check rather than by credit card whenever possible. Save consistently. Build a financial reserve. Make good use of your tax refund. Don't buy any financial service or product endorsed by any celebrity. <laughs> Love that. Buy cheap index funds. Invest in your 401k if you have access to one. Use a free financial coach. wonder what he means by that. Protect yourself from fraud and abuse. Look into a credit union. That's it. He then later did another one that was a um, different take on the card, but this is his one from forever ago. From I mean, in financial world, five years ago is forever ago. And I just think there's so much wisdom in this. You know, it's like if you don't have a GPS or a map and you get in your car, where are you going to go? Same idea with having financial goals that matter to you, not because – you were told you need to have some kind of financial goals. No, what is it you want to achieve? What's important to you? you know, they're the people in the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early, that they take a lot of criticism today. There's this big backlash against people who've set the goal that they don't want to have to go to work every day the rest of their life doing something that doesn't speak to them. They want to save maximum money and then be able to do what they want the rest of their lives. Even if they're working, they just want to be financially independent. That's a goal, right? I want to retire by such and such age. I want to do this. I want to do that. 
have the goal and then track your spending, whether it's with a budget or with a spending tool like Mint or whatever. The thing about paying by cash, I hate checks, but the idea of paying with cash, you've heard me address before, and that is that when you pay with plastic, whether it's credit card, debit card, whatever, you don't feel the spending like you do when you're using real cash. I've found that with people who cannot get their spending under control, living on a cash basis only drastically reduces their spending. And I'm such a believer in habits. You can see why I love this index card so much. We're saving consistently, you know, where you do it, where it's automatic. If you have a retirement plan at work, it comes out of your check every time. If you set up a Roth IRA, an automatic money goes into it. If you divert part of every paycheck automatically into a direct deposit into a savings account, you're building that rainy day. Good habits over time. And the thing about ignoring the celebrity pitches, absolutely. And you know my love of low-cost index funds. All these things, these ideas, that if you did these things only, it would change your financial future. It really can be reduced to an index card. It's just up to you to think it through and follow through. And it changes your life. Eric is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Eric. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm I'm out. Very good. Very good. Yourself? Great. Thank you. So, Eric, how can I be of service to you? Well, thanks for taking my call. I want to tell you I'm a very longtime listener, over 20 years, and I've learned so much from you and your team over the years that has, it's just been invaluable information. So thank you very much for what you do. Certainly. Um, so my wife will be traveling to England this summer, and we had a question about phone service. We have a discount carrier affiliated with one of the, I guess, the big four here in the U.S., but they don't offer an overseas calling plan. I, I called them last week. And so I was curious uh, what she might be able to do short of getting a whole new carrier, uh, what your thoughts were. Right now, it's actually pretty easy. So, which okay. I'm just curious, which discounter is she with? Total Wireless. Oh, great! Have you been happy with them as a replacement for name brand Verizon? We've been very happy, and it was on your suggestion. That's how I learned about it, and we've been very, very happy with it. And how much money do you think you're saving a month? Oh uh, well. We have four phones. We pay about $100 for all four of them, and that's with uh, plenty of data. We never use all our data. So we're probably saving $100, 80 to 100 a month. That's great. That's $1,000 a year back in your pocket. Yeah. How long is your wife going to be overseas? She's going to be there for 10 days. Oh, this is easy. So her okay. phone that she has, is it locked to Total Wireless, or did you bring the phone to Total Wireless? We purchased the phone from Total. And how long ago did you do that? Oh, gosh, probably a year ago. Oh, okay. So you can have that phone unlocked before she goes, 
And I'm okay. getting really in the weeds here. What kind of phone is it? It's an iPhone 6, I think. Great. All right. So if it's not unlocked already, they'll unlock it, meaning that when she gets overseas, she can buy what's known as a local SIM card. Okay. And that'll usually cost her for a 10-day trip probably the equivalent of about 15 U.S. dollars. Okay. And it'll come with enough data for her to use for that week. So she'll have. So she'll just call Total and ask them to unlock it. They'll unlock it, and then she can buy the SIM card when she gets over to England. Okay, so England's really easy. I mean, everywhere she goes, in any English town, there'll be people selling SIM cards for tourists. Okay. And usually she'll be able to buy a gig of data, which is enough for um, for a ten day trip, and that'll cost her probably uh, equivalent of about ten dollars there. Okay. And then she should, you should download here, and she should have downloaded on that iPhone things like um, you can use Viber, you can use WhatsApp, I'm trying to think right. who else. Any of those, then you can call each other for free. You can text all you want for free. Uh, you may find that I'm, if your iPhone also, you may be able to use iMessage just fine. Uh, you should be right. able to use FaceTime if you're both iPhone. So the ability to communicate once she has that SIM will be nothing to it. Okay. If for any Great. reason her phone does not work, uh, you know, she thinks it's unlocked, but it turned out not to be or whatever, she should be able to buy a used inexpensive Android for probably, oh gosh, uh, $15 equivalent. Okay. And also, anywhere she has Wi-Fi, she'll be able to use that iPhone anyway. Right, right. So this will so be, be, be easy. Calls? Sorry? Yeah. If, uh, on the Wi-Fi, she won't be able to call, though. Just oh, yes, she will. Yes, she will. Oh, using she'll be able to do that using well. Viber or WhatsApp, she'll be able okay, to make WhatsApp. all the calls she wants. In fact, right. uh, Viber and WhatsApp tend to work better when you have Wi-Fi than they do on the cellular. So Wi-Fi is really your friend, and everywhere you go in England, pretty much, there's Wi-Fi available. So it will be a lot easier than you might realize for you to stay in touch with each other very, very efficiently and inexpensively. Elizabeth is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you. I hope I can be of service to you today. I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. How can I help? Um, um, my partner and I are looking into getting a home together. We're not married right now. And he's already retired, and I'm going to be retired within two years. And we don't know whether it's better to get pre-qualified while I'm still working, or does it make a difference, or... Is it better if we get married? <laughs> We're just a lot of questions about buying a house together. So uh, you said you're still working, but your partner is, is retired, Retired, but has a, a demonstrable steady income in retirement or no? Any kind yes. of pension, anything like that? Yes, yes. A pension and um Social Security, and we both have investments. Um, so the investments about, won't really be uh, important in this, but 
steady income is, and a pension with a steady income, most mortgage lenders will consider that to be a perfectly valid source of income to qualify for a mortgage. And the, the question of being married or not, you can, you can do this either way. And it's okay. your choice. You don't need to, uh, I mean, you should get married if that's what you really want to do with each other, <laughs> but you don't have to do it for the purchase of a house. Okay. But I now would say the difference when you're buying a house together is it's really a great idea to go talk with a lawyer to make sure that you uh, handle the purchase properly to protect each of your interests. And if one of you were to pass away while you're paying for this home, while you're in a mortgage, it would be really great that those things be thought about up front and prepared for properly up front. You know, depending on the state where you're buying and the lawyer's opinions, they may have the property purchased in some kind of trust arrangement. Alrighty. Or they may want it just simply owned by both of you with documents establishing what happens in the event one of you became incapacitated or one of you passed away. Okay. So uh, it's it's not that different from if you were buying a home together with benefit of marriage. But okay. it's more important that you see a lawyer up front when you're not married just to make sure that you don't create any problems later that are with homes once you bought them it's mm-hmm. a lot more difficult to correct something that could have been done right from the beginning absolutely okay well thank you for your help sure do you um do you have an idea where you would find a lawyer who's an expert in oh, real estate absolutely um i i work in the legal department for the state and i've also worked for other attorneys so Wow. So there you are surrounded by lawyers all day and you called a non-lawyer for advice on this? That's funny. Well, uh, hopefully I've done an adequate job. <laughs> and I hope that the two of you really enjoy the house that you do settle on and that you do buy. Oh, I, I forgot one thing you asked me. I forgot to mention because I got, I got distracted. You want to buy the house while you're still working. Okay. That's important because you've got that demonstrable income. There's no question on that if you buy that house while one of the two of you at least is still employed in a regular job like you are right now with the state. Deborah's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. I have a couple of questions about credit cards. So the first question is that you've mentioned that that it's a good idea to use your cards to some, you know, regularity. And I wondered if that applies to store and specialty cards, like I have a furniture store card or a map. Do I need to keep using those? No. If, you, if it's a store card, unless it's got a Visa or MasterCard logo on it, I don't care about that store card at all, and you don't need to to diligently use that card. Okay. okay store great. cards are considered in the credit industry to be junk cards. They're not okay. really considered to be um, really respected. And when people are evaluating you 
for credit, they're really looking at Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express. Oh, okay. Okay. So then the other question is, I know that you recommended you have two major cards, and somehow over the years, I've managed to accumulate five of them, and in not not very thoughtful way. I don't even know how I got a few of them. Nobody, you know, I mean, you ask most people, and if they've had cards for a period of time... They don't have any idea why they have the cards they have. Right, exactly. But now I'm getting a little more savvy, and I would like to open a card where I get international travel points. But is that crazy? Because I have already five major credit cards. No, that's not a problem at all. So the the thing, if you're going to get a new travel card, the the, um, reward point... Wars are not as good as they were, but they're still important to pay attention to, where when you first apply for a card, you want to try to get enough points that it equates to like two free tickets in return for signing up for that card. Okay. Is there a time of year that those wars tend to... No, it's just they come and go over time, and the airlines, the airlines, the airline cards are not as generous as they were, and the independent cards are not as generous as they were for a while. And it's because the whole war was set off by Chase with the fancy Sapphire card that had the giant $450 annual fee and was giving these huge bonuses, and Mm -hmm. everybody was afraid of Chase because they're such a big player. So everybody started rolling out all these big bonuses, and then Chase lost hundreds of millions of dollars on that and so everybody was like oh we don't want to lose money they didn't want to lose money so the rewards basically got cut in half following that so i've Uh. got a couple of articles for you on clark.com how to pick one of those independent travel reward cards okay and to get the ones with the best bonuses and there are different benefits to different ones See what looks like it fits you the most, because there's not one card that's the best for everybody. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.